Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I wanted to... This is not a series tonight. This is a standalone message. Um, but I think it's something that will really be helpful. So I wanted to start by saying, because this is something kind of relevant here. Baseball season starts on March 30th. Yeah, I know, right? That's because I Googled it. That's how I knew that. <laughs> I, I had no idea when it started. I actually, that's a terrible thing to say to a group of fans whose team just won the World Series this past season, right? That's the worst way to start off. In fact, I felt really bad last year because everybody would be super excited about the game and they would be coming in and they'd be excitingly telling all the different plays that happened and I'd just be kind of nodding like that. I didn't watch the games. <laughs> you see, I actually don't, I love sports. I don't like baseball. I know that's going to offend some people. I'm sorry. Here's the problem. Uh, I got to give you some context in my life though, because my history does play a part in this. When I was a kid, I was forced to watch the Atlanta Braves almost every single night of the summer every summer. And if you're under a certain age, you don't understand what I'm about to say, but we had one television in our house. So that means if my dad was watching the Braves, we were watching, we were all watching the Braves at that moment. I remember my first experience with faith was praying and believing that God would send a Noah-like flood to rain out the game so I could watch something else on TV. I, I would just hope for that. I mean, I didn't care what it was. Andy Griffith would come on. I'd be like, that's great. I want to watch it. Anything other than the Braves. So I've always had this complicated relationship with baseball. So I guess once I got into my own house and had my own TV, I decided I was not going to watch baseball anymore. <laughs> but it's not just that. I know some of you are thinking I should change. I'll consider it. I'll consider it. But actually, it goes deeper than just having, watched, having been forced to watch the Braves. It also goes back to my childhood. I played one season of Little League. I think I was seven. And I was terrible. I didn't, I, and when I say I'm terrible, I need to explain to you the level and the depth with which of how bad that I was. I didn't get a hit the entire season. I'm not even sure if I got on base. And if I did get on base, it was only because I had gotten hit by the ball. And if I got hit by the ball, it was only because I hadn't jumped far enough back. Because almost every time the ball was thrown at me, I jumped back because I was deathly afraid of it. But I wasn't the only one. So it's not just me. It wasn't like I was taking down the team. We were all terrible. And we were the worst little league team in that league. In fact, I was, we were so bad. We had this... I, I think he was like a younger guy that was our coach, probably like in his 20s or something. I used to remember, I don't have necessarily tons of memories from childhood. I have bits and pieces. But one vivid memory I have is that young coach sitting down with a ball, just telling us, bribing us. If any of us will get on base, he will give us candy that day. That's how desperate he was, not even just to win, just to have somebody get on base, I guess, so he could have something to do for that game. We were like the bad news bears without the part where we became lovable winners in, in a heartwarming way. We were just like, we just stayed terrible always. And that was my first and last experience playing baseball. So, yeah, it was a rough season. But baseball is an interesting sport, right? I mean, if you look at the Hall of Fame, did you know that the average 
Hall of Famer, has a career batting average of 303. So just to put that in terms, it means your best of the best baseball players got to hit three out of 10 times. Can you imagine if you could be an all-star at work by only doing three good days of work out of 10? You're walking into the office, people are high-fiving, they're clapping for you, they're building statues because you didn't fail more than seven times this, in the last 10 days. I mean, that would be incredible, right? I mean, why don't we have, why don't we have jobs like that? They're just cheering us along, keep going, knock it out of the park for the third time and then you're done, you're good. Actually, it got me thinking of if in this context, though, like what is your Christian batting average? Like if you had to put a number to it, like what would be the percentage of the times that you do what God wants as opposed to the times when you do the opposite? It's actually kind of an uncomfortable question when you say it out loud. And before you, you even say anything, I am not about to put my batting average up on the screen myself. I'm not telling on myself because I don't think I would want to reveal that number either. And I made me wonder, like, what do we, how do we feel about our life as a Christian? Do you feel as a Christian like you're, you're really living that winning, successful kind of life? Or do you feel a little bit more like this... Uh, infamous cat poster because sometimes I feel more like the cat as a Christian I'm just hanging in there and he's got like one just a very little bit of a paw hanging on yeah that's a little bit rough but that to be honest that's sometimes how I feel you see some you ever ask yourself these questions as a Christian am I just supposed to get by by the skin of my teeth or as a Christian, is, is it more about failure than it is success? Am I destined to fail? Is that just what the Christian life is all about? Because sometimes that's how we feel. We feel like we just can't get it right as much as we want to get it right. And so it almost becomes like an exercise in failure. You know, we believe that about ourselves. But the question is, is that the truth or is that just the result of like a faulty perspective? Is it the actual how it should be for a Christian or is it simply that the way we view ourselves isn't quite right? It reminds me of a story I read. This was pretty fascinating. So these two brothers, it's a true story. They were in, in Hungary, the country, and they were homeless. They were broke. They actually lived in a cave, like not exaggeration. They lived in an actual cave and scavenged for junk to make a living. That's how they survive. And where the story gets really incredible was this charity worker tracked them down and found the brothers and told them that their grandmother who lived in Germany had died. And because of that, they were going to inherit her estate, which was worth over $5 billion. The true story happened in 2009. Can you imagine? So these guys are living in a cave scrounging around, trying to just survive. And in reality, they're wealthy beyond imagination. And I thought to myself, that's a little bit sometimes how we are as Christians, how we see ourselves. We operate as if in a way that doesn't reflect our actual position as a follower of Jesus. We live as if we have no power. 
We live as if we're incapable of being and doing what God's really called us to do. And it's not a reflection of God's weakness, but that's a reflection, I think, of our deformed perspective, our deformed image of who we really are. And I believe that if we actually begin to see ourselves the way God sees us and actually believe that we are who God says we are in the Bible, then I actually believe that our Christian life doesn't have to be one of failure, but one of success. That we could actually win, that we can actually get it right more often than we get it wrong. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. But there is a real, to be fair, there is a real, like, viewpoint that people have where they see themselves as someone who is just can't get it right. Maybe it's because of experience, maybe because you've struggled to get it right, or maybe because someone told you, like you got, you became a Christian, you went to church and then people started telling you, yeah, well, you're not going to get it right that often. It's pretty hard. You're not going to, we all make mistakes. It's fine. You know, you kind of believe that some people even use the Bible to back it up. And that's in Romans chapter 7. That was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote this in chapter 7, verse 14 through 20. You might even recognize this. It says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Now, maybe you've never read that passage before, but when I read it, you immediately thought to yourself, yeah, that kind of feels like me. Or maybe you believe that, that, or maybe you've read that before and thought that passage is talking exactly about me. I mean, think about it. We're talking about Paul here, right? The first missionary to cross continents. I mean, the guy who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, if he's writing that, there's no hope for us, right? I mean, if he can't get it right, what are we doing here? Well, there's something I want to talk about in this passage. You see, there's a lot of, a lot of times people think Paul's talking about his life in there because he keeps saying I, right? I do what I want to do, I can't do, those kinds of things. He keeps saying I, I, I over and over again. And so people read that and they often think, well, that means Paul struggled like that. So that means I'm destined to struggle like that. I can't get it right. But it's really important to remember something. So Paul was writing a long time ago. And back when he wrote letters a long time ago, they had techniques for writing to help get points across to people. So they had methods, they had techniques, just like we do. They had ones back then. And so when people re read them, they would understand, oh, they're trying to make a point. So back in the day, and Paul uses this in several of his letters, he would use this technique called impersonation. Basically, what he would do is he would write with the pronouns like I, as if it were himself, but he wasn't actually talking about himself. What he was doing was making an, he was emphasizing a point. He really wanted to nail home this point so that people would hear it. And then when he refutes that point in just a second, they would understand what he's talking about. So at this moment, 
Paul's not actually describing himself. I mean, think about it. We just finished in Bible 365, the book of Acts. And if you read the letters of Paul, what Paul wrote there does not describe the Paul that I read about in the book of Acts. It doesn't describe the way Paul talks about himself in other letters of the Bible. So there's a good chance then that that's what Paul right here is not describing his Christian life. In fact, he's emphasizing a point that he's trying to make. And there's something else really important. This whole passage, it's from Romans 7, verse 7 through verse 25. If you look through that whole passage, there's someone very, very important missing. That's not even mentioned in that entire whole thing about I do what I don't want to do, all that stuff. In that passage, you don't read about the Holy Spirit. So think about it. If you're not reading about the Holy Spirit, you're not reading about the Christian life. Because the Christian life is a life in the Spirit. With his power behind you. See, what Paul's actually writing about is a person who's trying to follow a set of rules with no power. It's a person who's trying to live and do what God wants him to do without the power to actually do it. Without the power to live it out. And we all know that when we try to do something on our own power and we try to, to live out um, a set of rules on our, just what we can muster up in with ourselves, it's a nightmare. And all you have to do is think back to the moment in the last few years when you decided to embrace a low-carb diet. Come on, we've pretty much all done it, right? The moment, You've never thought about bread more than you did 30 seconds after you said, I'm starting a low-carb diet, honey. I mean, yeah, you may not have even had a biscuit in three years, but then you start a low-carb diet and all you're dreaming about is poking the Pillsbury Doughboy in his belly. That's just what's in your mind. You can't think of nothing but bread. Because whenever you try to think of something you don't want to do, all you can do is think of that thing, and then it makes you want to do it. In fact, dieting is a really good example. I was, uh, when I was in my 20s, I, I hit the heaviest weight I've ever been as an adult. And I knew I wasn't healthy, and I knew that there were some things that needed to change. And I had tried dieting and just failed over and over and over again. I just could not get it going. But what's interesting is the time where it actually worked, I was able to lose a significant amount of weight, it was when my wife started helping me. And so we started running together. We started eating healthy foods together. We kind of kept each other accountable. And it was funny, at that point, that was when I was able to win the battle, the weight loss battle, more days than I lost it. Whereas before, I would just start and stop, start and stop all the time. And that's what happens when we become followers of Jesus. We're not doing this alone. We have help. In fact, in Romans 8, 1 through 2, it says, Paul continues to write, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That, therefore, is really important. You see, Paul's making a contrast. He told you all of this bad stuff that happens when you try to do it on your own. And then he says, but therefore, this is happening. This is the reality of a Christian. You see, we've been set free by the Holy Spirit. Set free to do what? Set free to win. Set free to succeed. Set free to not be bound by failure. We've been set free to live differently. We've actually been given the permission now through the power of the Holy Spirit to see ourselves in a different light. To not see ourselves the way we were. Which is exactly what Paul described, living in the way you used to be and struggling. 
Paul's now saying because of the Holy Spirit, we get to live totally different. We get to be someone completely different because we've sin, been set free. We don't have to do what we've always done in the past. What kept us bound in the past doesn't have to keep us bound in the future. We actually have permission to be different. And we have the power to make it happen. And that's what makes difference. Old temptations, anything that tries to drag you down doesn't have to be able to drag you down because you, therefore, there is now no condemnation because the Spirit has set us free. We've been freed. But you have to change the way you see yourself. And this is another verse in Romans 6.11. Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count basically means to consider the reality of the situation. So what we have to do as Christians is consider the reality of what Jesus has done for us and the power of the Holy Spirit that's working within us. That means we're now dead to sin and alive to God. Paul uses this illustration in Romans 6.22. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. See, in the ancient world where Paul lived, slaves could actually buy their freedom. They could purchase their freedom and not have to serve anymore. That was the goal of every slave was to make enough money to be able to buy their freedom. And once they bought their freedom, they, was no, they were no longer under control of that old master. They didn't have to do what he said anymore. They could make their own choices. They could live their own lives. They didn't have to get up when he said get up or go to bed when he said go to bed. They were free to be whoever they wanted to be. And that's, the, that's why it's such an important illustration for us because as Christians, we are free from sin. And when I say that, I mean we're free from it being the boss of us. Does that mean we, we can't sin? Absolutely not. We can still sin. I mean, a slave could have gone back to his old master. A slave could go back and live a slave's life if a slave wanted to. They were free to do that. Just like we're free to sin, but the point of it is that sin is no longer our boss. It's no longer our master. It doesn't get to tell us what to do in the way that it used to do. But unfortunately, a lot of us as Christians, we still treat it as if it's still our boss. We still let it push us around. We still let, us, let sin tell us what to do. See, we've been set free because there is a new master in charge, Jesus. He's the one that gets to tell us who we are. In fact, Pastor Allen used this illustration several weeks ago, and I thought it was really helpful. So suppose you worked a really awful job. Let's just say you had the terrible boss. I mean, just a tyrant. No, I'm not talking about Pastor Allen. Look, this is not a personal story, okay? I need to make that careful because he might be watching. This is not about him. This is totally hypothetical. But seriously, you've, had, you've probably had a boss like that. Just someone who's not nice. Someone who makes you do jobs that aren't really your jobs. You know, dry cleaning, wash cars, everything. You know, they demean you. They say mean things, all that kind of stuff. So suppose you had a boss like that. Now, if someone came along and offered you, who was much nicer, and they offered you a better job with better pay, you'd take it, right? You'd be crazy not to. Of course you would. Now, suppose you're working this new job and a few weeks later, your old boss comes in and says to you, I mean, just calls, walks through the door, starts calling you names again, just like he always did. And then demands that you go downtown, pick up his car from the mechanic and bring it back and get it washed before you come. 
Now at that moment, you know what might happen is you might actually feel some anxiety. Because it's hard to get past some of that stuff. You might even get that knot in your stomach, you know. You're like, uh, you might even rush out the door and be like, I got to do this before I get in trouble again. But then about a couple steps out the door, you'd stop yourself. And you'd remind yourself, I don't work for him anymore. He doesn't get to tell me what to do. He doesn't get to call me names anymore. He doesn't get to boss me around. He doesn't get to dictate my life. And so you'd walk back in and you'd ever so politely tell that boss what he could do with his task. <laughs> you see, temptation is, temptation is sin, the old boss, trying to make you believe that you're still under its control. See, that's what happens when we're tempted. We're tempted to believe that Satan is the one still calling the shots. But in reality, as Christians, we've been set free. We have the Holy Spirit's help. So when Satan comes to you and when Satan tries to make you believe that you are still under his authority and control, you can ever so politely tell Satan where he can take his temptation and what he can do with it. Because he has no authority over you. He has no power to control you. You remember the old comedian from the 60s, the devil made me do it? It's not true. He can't make you do it because he doesn't have the authority over your life. You have a new master. You have a new boss. See, when we sin as Christians, it's basically this moment where we begin to believe this lie that we're still the old person we used to be. And what God's saying is, no, that's who you were. But I'm telling you who you are right now. But we have to begin to believe it. We have to begin to live it. We have to actually act like what Jesus says is true and actually has a, has a bearing on our life. Like what Jesus says about us actually has the ability to dictate and determine how our life goes. And whenever we don't believe that, we get stuck in old patterns. We get stuck in old behaviors. We get stuck in old things that just keep to drag us down. It's that old boss still yelling at you, still trying to make you do what he wants you to do. But it's time for us to say, no, you aren't in charge anymore. I have a new master. To take it with authority. To actually say, no, I don't have to. That's a powerful statement. I don't have to. It's a, there's a theologian, Thomas Oden. He said it this way. The resurrection became for Christians the power not only to face the future, but to live this life. The believer has died to the old way of life and risen to the new with Christ. And that's what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. See, our new life in Jesus is what gives us the ability to change. It's what gives us the ability to live differently. It's what gives us the power. You see, we're not fighting against an enemy who has equal power. To put it in military terms, it's like we have a tank and he has a slingshot. But temptation is like Satan getting you to believe it's the other way around. How many times have you approached whatever problem, whatever thing's dragging you down, whatever thing is kind of holding you back, and the way you thought about it was that is so much more powerful than God. 
Maybe you never even said that out loud, but the way that we treated it, we treated it as if it were more powerful than God. We believe that the power within us pales in comparison to the power that Satan brings. But the opposite is true. The the power and the authority of Satan pales in comparison to the authority and power of Jesus Christ. Because you are in Christ, you have been set free by the power of the Spirit. Satan's trick is to keep you thinking the way you used to think. Satan doesn't have the upper hand, but he wants you to think he does. And if he can get you to think the old ways, then he can keep you trapped. But when you change your thoughts, something powerful happens. Because you realize it's like you come out of this stupor. It's like you wake up from a daze and you realize that all the things you believed, that's the lies that Satan has told you, you, you believed are not true. And that what the reality is is so much different. That you have power. Paul writes in Romans 8, 5 through 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. When Paul's talking about flesh in the Bible, it's really important. He's not really talking so much about skin and bones. Um, And so if you believe that, you might think that he's saying your body is bad, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our sinful nature which basically means that part of us that's still susceptible to sin and still susceptible to weakness. There's a part of us that that still faces that. And so that's what makes life difficult because we're like people of two worlds. So we have a part of us that's still surrounded by sin, still has weakness that can kind of pull at us. And then we have like one foot in God's kingdom because we've been changed by the power of the spirit and we've been brought into Jesus's kingdom. And so it's like we have one foot in the old and one foot in the new and we feel this tension. It's like a tug of war as we're being pulled in the directions. But what we believe a lot of times is that the pull to sin is so much stronger than the pull to Christ. When in reality, that's not the case. See, that's just an illusion. The actual power comes on this side. This is the power to make this behave, to make this because you've, you have Christ behind you. It's pulling you harder. It's all a matter of how you believe and think about yourself. Do you believe what the Bible says or do you believe how you feel in the moment? Uh, Bible scholar Craig Keener said this, When temptation comes, we can develop a confidence in Christ's victory In us that is greater than our confidence in temptation's ability to redefine our identity. So we have more confidence in Christ. I learned this the hard way a few weeks ago, or a couple few months ago, actually. So I would love to be able to tell you all the ways in which I've just nailed it in the last year. But I have to tell you the truth. Several months ago, I did not get it right. I I went home for lunch, checked the tap. No water came out. I thought maybe they shut the water off in the main or something like that. I called the city hall and they said, no, we shut it off because we saw a leak in your yard. And I thought my mind immediately goes to worst case scenarios. So I'm going through all these moments. I'm not doing well. Things, I'm nervous. I'm worried. And then I rushed to get a plumber, trying to get all that. Then the city calls me back and says, oh, yeah, but you have to, your plumber has to get a uh, permit. And we are going to be probably closed by the time he gets there. And then also he can't touch the water meter. We have to have somebody out there. And they get off work at this time. So all of these no's, no's, no's are coming into my brain. And i got to be honest, my mind was set on the flesh at that moment. 
because I got very short and snippy with that person. And I let them know I wasn't happy. So I got off the phone, a few minutes pass, and I realized to my, and I started to think. I was like, you know, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, then I really have to take what he says seriously. And what I did just then did not take what he said seriously. And so I called back, I found the lady I talked to, and I apologized to her. Because I knew at that moment, I had the power to make a choice. And I had chosen wrong, but I know. And then from that day forward, I've really kept myself on guard to say, in this moment when I'm tempted to be my mind set on the flesh to do the wrong thing, I keep telling myself, no, I have the power to choose differently. And it's really changed how I interact with things. See, temptations come in all shapes and sizes. It's not just what we call, quote, the big things. Any sin that we have has the ability to derail our progress. It has to be able, the ability to rob God of the opportunity to bless us in incredible ways. So whether they're, quote, big or, quote, small, they all matter. But whether, no matter what you face, temptation you face, you can overcome it because of who Jesus is. The... Um, Romans 8.34, Paul writes, Who then is the one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You have a God who fights for you. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. In fact, that word intercession... It, it was kind of, it was a word they used often in reference to like a king's court where someone would go in and, and on behalf of someone, they would petition for them. You have a God who's fighting for you. I mean, imagine this moment tonight. Imagine you're in bed. Jesus physically appears to you. Just go with me. Imagine he physically appears to you and he looks at you and he says, I'm praying for you. What would that do for tomorrow, right? Am I, I'm not gonna, I don't think I'd be going out on a limb to say you'd have a little pep in your step tomorrow, right? Temptation would come. You'd be like, hashtag not today, Satan. <laughs> I mean, it's like the ultimate pep talk. You'd be ready to run through a wall. You'd be ready to fight anything. Like, Give me a demon. I'm going to fight somebody. <laughs> you'd be ready because you're like, he's praying for me. Jesus. But that's what that verse is saying. When he says he intercedes for us, it means Jesus is praying for us to win. He wants us to succeed. We're not alone. We're not isolated. We're not by ourselves. When we fight in this life, we're not fighting on our own and failing. We're fighting in the power of Jesus Christ who's with us, walking with us, which means we can succeed because he succeeds. Because he has the power to make things happen. And that's how we walk the winning life. You know, one of the things I had to come to grips with when I was dieting-wise was I had to learn that it was going to be an everyday thing. I was always going to have to think about what I ate, how much I ate, how much I exercised, all that kind of stuff. Because I knew there's no coasting in dieting. There's this or that. There's no in-between. And it's the same way in the Christian life. There's no coasting. You're moving forward or you're moving backwards, but you don't coast. Every day it's a battle to decide, am I going to live the old way or am I going to move forward with Christ? But imagine just a moment, a dream, just a moment, what your life would look like if you make the choice 
to believe that what Jesus says about you is true. And that you actually have the power to win as a Christian, not fail. And that you can get it right way more often than you get it wrong. What does that do to your relationships? What does that do at work? What does that do when you're feeling helpless and hopeless and you're feeling worried? What does that do to your life when you actually believe what the Bible says? When you actually take Jesus at his word and live it out, what does that do to your life? Because I'm telling you, it makes a difference. We have been set free. Don't go and live like a slave when Jesus has declared you to be free. Don't live the old life when he's declared that you can live a new life today. No matter who you are, we all can walk in that same freedom. It's open to everybody. And the best news of all is if you've never experienced that, it simply begins with an invitation to say yes to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. If you're here tonight and you have never said yes to following Jesus, or maybe you did it a long time ago, but you feel like you've just kind of slipped away and you want to find your way back, if, you've, if that's you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand. We're not going to ask you to stand up, come to the front, do anything. We're just going to pray with you. So if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, I just ask you to raise your hand real quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to pray. And I'd like to invite everyone to pray with us because we want to uh, just really help everybody feel comfortable in this moment and to support them as they pray. So just repeat after me. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now. I say you are my Lord. My Savior. The one who forgives me. And restores me. Thank you, Jesus. That my past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I am a new creation. In Christ, because I've said yes to you. I want to pray for everyone here. Lord, I just pray that each person here would just know and believe that you have set them free to live the life you've called them to live. That sin, temptation, and the old life does no power over them, but they have the power to walk in freedom because of you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.